The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and there is the fabulous and lovely Dr. Doreen Grampichet. Welcome to everybody and welcome Dr. Grampichet. So, so th I'm so thrilled to be here this morning and that was the first time that we showed uh, that opener and of course I was cracking up at the pictures of me. But I have to say the thing that I'm so proud of and a little bit beclumped about is um, it's just an exciting day here at Autism Live because the music that you were hearing and a lot of the music that you're going to be hearing on our channel was commissioned and paid for um, by the artists at Spectrum Laboratories. So that music was composed by a group of individuals on the autism spectrum. How fabulous is that? And they got paid for it. So that's a really cool thing. And I really enjoyed showing that. So, uh, but Dr. Grampichet is here and Dr. Grampichet is just a, a fabulous person and a wonderful expert. I believe the preeminent expert in the field of autism in our time. She is here with us for the next hour and is going to be answering your questions in real time. Uh, you might be asking, okay, how can I get my question asked on the air? There are lots of different ways. If you're watching us live right now, you're watching us on YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, our homepage or on Facebook Live. And we encourage you to watch in whatever format that you like. If you're watching live though, the best way to get your question in is to write it on that platform and it shows up in real time on our screen. In fact, already we're saying hi to Julia and we're saying hi to Um. We're so, <laughs> and Um says, good morning. Dr. Gr Dr. Doreen never ages and oh. I, I'm very fond of saying that too. I believe that there's a painting underneath her bed that's aging for her because um, it's just amazing. We all want to know what, what kind of cream you use, Dr. <laughs> and, um, but uh, go ahead, write your questions in right now and we're able to see them. I just saw the question you put in, Julia. We're going to get to that in just a minute. I want to say, though, that if you aren't watching us live, you might be watching us recorded at another time. We podcast to all different kinds of platforms. We're on iTunes as a free download, and you can watch or listen, whichever you prefer. We're also on Google Play, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Audible, Deezer, and many others. We just can't. Traven's running out of space to squeeze them on here. So uh, let us know. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Heather. So thrilled that you guys are all here with us this morning. Let us know if there's some place that you would like for us to be. We like to be available in all the places that you watch your podcast or listen to your podcast. So uh, I also want to say that at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can go to our homepage, which is Autism 
hyphenlive.com. Check us out there. You can search our videos. You can also leave us a message there. In fact, the first question I'm going to go to is one that came in in the night on our chat on autism-live.com. But Dr. Grampichet, I've, I've, I've had you sit there and you've only gotten to say good morning. Uh, is there anything you want to say before I launch into this first question? No, not at all. Good morning, everyone. It's always lovely to be here and I look forward to uh, getting some uh, questions from everyone. Yes, that's wonderful. Okay, so this first question, hello, my son is 13 with ASD and has very rigid interests. Basically, <laughs> excuse me, playing games on the iPad. <clears throat> I beg your pardon. Playing games on the iPad, watching videos and taking photos of objects in the house. Now I'm going to have a tickle. <clears throat> so sorry, you guys. <clears throat> pardon me. No I want to start cutting down on his iPad time. But then what does he do? He says no to all my suggestions for hobbies. He goes online, does online school and doesn't leave the house much at all. He seems totally fine with not doing much at all. How do I reduce screen time and motivate him to try new activities when screen time is all he likes to do? And okay. I said, thank you for your suggestions. I'm going to mute and cough and let you go for it. Sure, sure. So I think uh, you mentioned that he is 13. And this is uh, kind of when it gets a little bit difficult because uh, this is sort of the reason why it's easy to do things, much easier, let's say, to do things when the children are very young. Because uh, once a behavior pattern kind of becomes a habit, it becomes difficult to break. But nevertheless, um, every, you know, it, it, if you look at what he's doing, uh, it per makes perfect sense, right? Because those are his reinforcers. Those are the things that he enjoys doing. Videos, uh, iPad games, uh, photos, things that, those are things that he likes to do. And he's engaging in things that he likes to do um, because there's no real sense of, oh, I need to do uh, some other things that I might not like to do as much. Um, and so in that world of like, think about it for all of us, if we didn't have other responsibilities, we each would basically engage in just the things we like to do, the reinforcers, right? It, it's logical, it makes sense. So um, now what you have to do is, is kind of a difficult task because you need to uh, establish with him that there are some things that are, let's say, we can call them whatever, they're, um, you know, chores, tasks that have to be done during every day, um, educational activities maybe, or tasks around the house or social tasks. I mean, whatever it is, it's it, to him, it is not as rewarding as playing iPad games and videos and photos, right? So we need to be clear on that. So now you have this activity that he wants, that you want him to do, whatever it is, whether it's going out, let's say, or, uh, you know, uh, talking to other people, putting down the technology, let's say, it's just think of one activity that you would like to increase, and then you're going to use his preferred activities as reinforcers. And so the way that it works is that you will ask him, uh, and depending on his level of functioning, you might want to have a conversation with him to kind of explain that these are things that you need to get done during the day. 
and we're going to do them very slowly. Like we're going to build up to doing this entire list, just like, uh, you know, school or something. It, it, it builds up. So essentially what you'll do is you'll have him do, let's say five minutes of a non-preferred activity, something you want him to do. And then you'll allow him to have 30 minutes of his preferred activity, which would be the iPad or the game. Um, and so you do that for a while and you make sure that he's not objecting to it and he's okay with it. It becomes a habit, like maybe a week, right? The next week, you turn that five minutes of non-preferred activity to 10 minutes and you maintain the 30 minutes of the preferred activity. And so you go on this way until it gets to a point where he begins to have an intermittent uh, schedule where there are just as many non-preferred activities as there are preferred activities. Or the other way that you could do it is that you gradually have now increased, let's say, a block of time where it's like, oh, he's supposed to do one whole hour of something that he doesn't really like to do, and then he'll get a whole hour of something he does like to do. The key to this, I mean, you, you'll have to balance it so that it's fair. I always tell uh, parents that, you know, the, the, our kids, when they first start doing ABA, they are basically used to doing all the things they want to do and demands have not been placed in the same, at the same level as demands are placed on typically developing kids. So what has to happen is that you'll do a gradual transition for them. In the beginning, you will have very few requests or demands, like things that you want them to do, non-preferred activities, and a lot of reinforcers. And then over time, gradually, in a way that they don't really object, in a way that it, it becomes a habit or a, or a pattern or a, just a routine, gradually, you'll, you'll increase those, those requests or demands and you'll decrease the reinforcers to become more like what we experience in regular life, right? If you think about it, when we're kids, we have a lot of reinforcers. All we do all day long is play, right? And then we have to go to school. And then it's like, okay, I'm gonna go to school, but there's a lot of play as well in school because my friends are there. And then I'll come home and I'll do a little bit of homework and then I'll get to play again. But as we grow up, it becomes a lot more like, right? Like organize your room. Now you actually have proper homework to do and it takes hours and you might not even have time to play anymore. And as you grow up, you realize that those things that were reinforcers get less and less and less and less, right? If we're, if we're lucky and if we are, you know, in, a, in an environment that allows it, we will maintain some self-reinforcing activities. Like uh, I find, Shannon, that men are a lot better at, at maintaining uh, fun activities than women are. Um, and, you know, so men will generally continue to do sports, uh, maybe watch sports and so on. We as women might watch TV, cook, we have hobbies, right? And all of those things become rewards and we then do all this hard stuff. We go to work, we take care of others, we do this, that, and the other thing. Then we reward ourselves <clears throat> with a small amount of reinforcer. That's what you need to gradually accomplish for your son, which is essentially changing his routine. 
Now, there's a lot of ways. Also, you can use visual schedules. There's a lot of things like that that you could do. But the idea is that you basically will now increase his demand or his tasks very gradually and still make sure he has access to rewards. Long answer. But really important, and thank you so much for it, because I love how you take into consideration that, you know, well, we would all want to do that. I, I just always appreciate your viewpoint on that. I want to say, because I, you know, I, I, I didn't mention before that I'm the very proud mom of a 17-year-old that was diagnosed uh, at the age of two and a half. And, you know, like all young men in this age range, he loves his video games and his screen time. It's so different in COVID. Um, because, you know, so that, that was their big reinforcer for screen time. And now we're having to meter that reinforcer so much more because they're having to do all the things they don't like on, on screen time. But I just really appreciate that this mom is trying to figure it out and trying to find more ways to get him to do something else. And I just want to throw in there that a lot of times, I think all kids on the spectrum, not on the spectrum, but especially our kids. Um, they don't know that they, that they, whether they like something until they've tried it. And sometimes they have to try it more than once. And it's very hard for me as a parent, but I'm, I learn every day about patience that when I want to introduce him to something that he's never done before, I get pushback. And I've just, I, I'm trying to learn and adjust myself. Somebody said the other day about how they're learning instead of pushing to ride the wave, and, and that I'm trying to ride the wave when I'm asking him to do something and know that he's going to give me pushback. And that's not necessarily indicative of where we're going to end up, but that I've pulled him away from something that he really wants to do. And we're going to like, you know, we're going to go for a walk or, you know, we're, we're going to do some new activity and, and he's going to tell me he doesn't want to do it. And I don't have to get all hysterical about that because I am want to do that. I can just go, I hear you, but we're still going to try it. And if you never want to do it again, you know, we don't ever have to do it again, but we're going to try this thing. And I find that when, um, when I, when I stay calm and don't get like, but you need to get off of the screen time and don't go through all those explanations that a lot of times he, not every time, but a lot of times he ends up liking the activity. So I just want to throw that out because I know that this, this parent is going to like try some new things and you know, your child may be like, I don't want to do this or they, yeah. or they don't say that they'll just be crabby, 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 crabby. And, and it, that doesn't feel good for us. We're like putting out all this effort to do the thing with them. And then they're crabby on top of it. And we go, why do I even bother? But yeah. instead, if we ride the wave and go, yep, as expected, you know, Mr. Crabby pants showed up. Um, but I know from the past that sometimes we get through this and he ends up liking the activity. Um, but, so sending you hugs, cause that's hard, but I applaud this parent that they're, it's hard during COVID. We have to try to reduce the screen time whenever possible, even when it's their rewarding thing. So sending them love. Okay. We've got a parent who has written in and wants to know about how can I stop night terrors and teeth grinding? Oh, okay. No. Um, this is a really tough one. I, I mean, I don't think anyone has really discovered yet how to stop either one of those teeth grinding, unfortunately 
the there's no solution to it except for they you should make sure that you get a uh, brace or I don't know what they're called, Shannon. You know those uh, that, a mouth guard. A mouth guard, right? Yeah. Now, I can tell you that <clears throat> one of my kids' teeth grinds, and she's gone through five mouth guards. I think because they break. But basically, that's just a habit, and it's something no one knows what causes it. There are some theories that it has to do with stress. I don't know if that's the case or not, but, uh, you know, so let's just make sure while he's teeth grinding, the, the teeth don't get destroyed. In terms of night terrors, though, uh, you can contact, UCLA has a sleep clinic where they uh, try to find out if there is something else that's instigating the night terror. See, sometimes with our kids, uh, it's not really a night terror in the sense that they're not suddenly woken by some scary thought, but they're woken by some physical thing that occurs, like a subclinical seizure or some activity, and then they're afraid of what just woke them up. So it would be probably pretty important for you to get a sleep EEG, which they do at UCLA Sleep Clinic, and what you do they basically will, he would sleep there and you can stay there. It's a little bit tough, but they would be monitoring him during sleep. And I think they might actually also now even, I'm not sure during COVID now, but I think they had gotten to the point where they would allow you to have a, uh, the, the entire EEG electrodes uh, at home. And so you, therefore he could sleep at home, but it's very difficult and they'd want to make sure that there's they would want to monitor him throughout one night of sleep, sometimes even more than one night, to see what's going on. And I think that's, I know it sounds super difficult. I wouldn't even know how to begin to do that right now if it was one of my kids. But talk to the UCLA sleep clinic because sleep issues are very, very important. I talk to parents about sleep all the time. And you know, if you're not getting good sleep, like the day is lost. Like you can't learn, you can't pay attention. You're going to have a lot more frustration, a lot more aggression, all that sort of stuff. So it's important we figure out what's going on. Uh, the caregiver just gave us some more information that this is a, a female child and that she holds her tummy. Oh, okay. So that, you know, is such a common thing with our parents, unfortunately, unfortunately, and I don't know if it's honestly that we, we did a publication, there were several publications that were done, which showed that there is a higher level of gastrointestinal distress and discomfort and inflammation uh, in individuals with autism. Now, uh, I don't know if, if it's just a higher number or if it's because some one way or another we end up discovering that and our typically developing kids just kind of tolerate it or or they figure out what not to eat i'm not sure but regardless i want you to know that it is a big deal in in our field in our world a lot of kids have in, uh, inflammation in the gut and you should uh, definitely if she's holding her tummy First of all, immediately, if she's holding her tummy, give her a heating pad um, because that will relieve some of the pain, perhaps. Let's see. Secondly, please see a gastroenterologist and figure out what is going on. I cannot tell you the number of children I've seen 
who have such severe inflammation that it is affecting everything. They have pain during the day. Um, there are several children I have who have severe constipation, severe diarrhea. Uh, the, some of the body rocking that we see our kids do is due to that pain. I mean, it is a very, very pervasive issue in autism. So uh, definitely uh, seek out uh, medical help for this. If they would do a series of tests to identify what is going on and then hopefully give you treatment. Okay, and, and they also, I don't know if you can see the medicine that they wrote in and said that, know, that they're I on. I don't know what that is. I wonder if that's uh, something homeopathic. Perhaps the parents can tell us what that is. Okay, uh, I'm gonna move on to another question here that uh, they're wanting to know Hi, my 16-year-old is high-functioning autism and is so isolated right now, no social contact with peers due to online schooling, that he is struggling with relationships and his sexual identity. He claims he is bisexual, but we believe he feels this way because he is desperately seeking love and acceptance from anywhere. He told me this morning that being bisexual doubles his chance at love. He hasn't been alone with any peers for over a year. Would it benefit for him to see a therapist who specializes in this area and how do we proceed? There's been a lot of studies that have come out recently that have talked about um, sexual identity in individuals who are on the autism spectrum is often more fluid and that there is a higher percentage of, of individuals in the gay community who are on the autism spectrum than is found in, in other communities. So um, just throwing that out there, but Dr. Grampichet, what would you like to say to this parent? That's so interesting, Shannon. I mean, you know, because, so I have, I'll just share some thoughts about it because, uh, you know, I don't know very much about the, the area of sexuality and autism, but I, it does make sense that there would be a higher number. There's a you know, um, early studies, and I, this was actually one of those studies that I did for my master's a hundred years ago, um, very early studies, people were looking at gender discrimination by individuals with autism. I, I, was, I was looking at a concept called overselectivity, which is a little different than gender discrimination, but uh, overselectivity has to do with uh, you know, looking at a stimulus or, or an object or anything and not recognizing it because you're paying attention to one particular aspect of that stimulus. So for instance, uh, I, my study was that I would have parents of the children and the children obviously could identify the pictures of the parents or we taught them to. And then we would alter the picture in one way or another, let's say take off glasses or put on a different color hair, that kind of stuff. And then the children would ultimately lose the ability to identify their parents based on that small uh, alteration in the picture, right? So, and, it would, and so if it was a typically developing child, you, you, you learn the face of the parent based on the face and not necessarily based on the things around it. So if the mother changes their hair color, you still recognize that as being mother. But in children with autism, it was called over-selectivity because they were selecting the knowledge that this is mom based on, let's say, hair color. 
or based on some 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 aspect of it, like glasses, or if you change the mouth, or some small portion of it where it still remained identifiable to others. So you know, those are things that take place with kids with autism. Um, having said that, I'm not answering the actual question. Um, so it would, you know, when you look at gender, male and female, how do we know someone is male or female? You look at, by just looking at them, right? So how do we differentiate that? And, and somehow we do, believe me, there are so many studies where they're trying to identify if someone is male or female. And we don't know. It's one of those intrinsic things. It's not, obviously, it's not short hair and et cetera, et cetera. But somehow we do identify that. And as, as the world has changed, it is less and less likely that we will continue to identify gender based on facial expression or face or external now, when it comes to individuals on the autism spectrum, as we know, they are very non-judgmental individuals, right? Even the highest functioning people, I always like to say that my highest functioning or recovered individuals are just the loveliest people because they don't learn all the kind of bad stuff we learn, you know, like the envy and judgment and all that kind of stuff. So um, it is possible that your child might not differentiate between male female it might not have any kind of it might not hold any meaning to him um i don't know that's absolutely possible but i think until he figures that out and this is so tough i want to i want to start by saying it's not just tough for kids on the spectrum it's just a tough period of time for everyone a lot of kids a lot of teenagers are not sure about their own sexuality right now. Um, there's, it, there's a lot of reasons for it, but there is a lot of confusion about that. Now, yes, of course, it would be great if you could find a therapist who specializes in this and, and talk to them. I don't know anyone myself who specializes, who understands ASD and sexuality. But what I do think you need to do somehow right now is to get him involved in some sort of online even social group. And there are a lot of online social groups. Uh, have we in the past given out some links for that channel? And I think you know some of them that we can mention here. Yeah, I'm, I'm especially a big fan. In fact, tomorrow we're gonna be replaying an interview that we've done with Chelsea Darnell. She's an amazing young woman, an adult woman on the autism identifies herself as being on the autism spectrum. And she runs a really wonderful social group. It's called Movie Chat with Chelsea Darnell. It's through the Ed Asner Family Center. It is usually for adults, 18 and up, but I think they make special um, exceptions sometimes for a 16 or 17 year old. And basically there's an, a, mov a movie that's assigned at the beginning of the week and they encourage the people who are gonna be on, you have to register for it, but it's totally free. Uh, they encourage you to watch the movie and then the discussion always starts out talking about the movie, but it's an adult, uh, adults on the autism spectrum social group. Um, and they, the Ed Asner Family Center also has a couple of other social groups and they have classes and things like that where you can do it online. You can be anywhere in the world and be online. You just have to go to Ed Asner Family Center and they'll, they'll tell you how to register for them. The online classes are totally free. 
but but I I have to say I think that that's the more important aspect is yeah. getting first of all getting him some social interaction with folks um yeah. and I of course have so many friends who um tell the story of when they I don't know whether this individual is bisexual or not how could I possibly know but I I just want to send love to this caregiver and say that I have so many friends on the spectrum and not on the spectrum that tell the story of when they were trying to come to terms with who they were and all they wanted was acceptance and love from the people around them. And that I, I think if we could fast forward five years um, into the future and, and when all of that is settled and you know, you know where, what your child's sexuality is and they know what their sexuality is, that where you're gonna wanna be is in love and acceptance of who they are. Um, and if, if as much as you of that as you can apply at 16, I would think would be the most helpful thing for your child. But but I understand that's not the question you were asking. So back to you, Dr. Gramsci. No, I mean, I just want to say, like, um, it would be interesting for me to hear the point of view of some of the parents here. Have you guys seen Love on the Spectrum? I recently was watching this series, and it just it touched me so deeply because... It, it, it reminded me of how lonely some of our uh, adults and teens, same thing, are, you know, emotionally. They crave uh, love and, and relationship and bonding, just like we do, and intimacy and so on. And it's very, very difficult. And it just, uh, I, I after I saw it, I came to Shannon and I was like, oh my God, I, I so want to start some sort of like dating thing or just even like social thing where uh, I can I can find adults that are similar in interest and uh, functioning level and kind of bring them together somehow. Because I think unless we do, so, there, I don't think anything like that really exists, to be honest with you. I know that the program at UCLA peers has some boot camps, but they don't, um, you know, I'm thinking more kind of like a dating app, not not yeah. necessarily a dating app itself, but like, tell me about your interests and let me try to find someone who is compatible for you. And at this point, you can online chat. Um, because I honestly think that our kids need some help with this. They're, they're so you're, you're talking about an ASD Yenta? Like yeah. a Yenta? Exactly. Like that makes me so excited. Can we call um, it that? Can we call it yes. <laughs> I love it. And I also love what this parent wrote in and they said, thank you. That's tremendously helpful. We love him no matter what he identifies as. And that's, I think that's the whole ball game right there. <clears throat> but getting more social during COVID. So ASD Yenta, I'm, I'm, and they're saying it's a really good idea. All right, we got to we got to get that domain purchased today. Uh, so wonderful. All right, let's uh, now. I'm all excited. I'm all on Twitter. Let's go back to yeah. some questions here. Uh, hi, Dr. Doreen. Can you share some ideas on how uh, how to increase language, commenting, etc., during peer play? One of my kiddos is very silent during peer activity, and that makes him less popular. Thank you, Heather, for writing in that question. That's a great question. So uh, I'll try not to go in a million circles on this, but I guess the, the, the first thing I, that comes to my mind is there's prerequisites 
that need to be in place so that peer play is successful. A lot of times uh, we think that if we give our child a series of rote responses or rote um, instructions, that they'll be able to handle peer play adequately. But peer play actually uh, depends on a lot of other skills. Um, so I think your best bet is to honestly, my, I would re recommend that you check out the site Skills for Autism, www.skillsforautism.com. And there, that's a uh, that's our that's Cards curriculum. That's the curriculum that I built for many many over many many years. Now, in there, there's um, a section for uh, that, that's called social. There's a curriculum area called social. So there's uh, eight different domains, and uh, you know there's language and adaptive and executive functions and so on. And I think you begin with social. Um, and oddly, or maybe it's under language, or maybe it's under both areas of the curriculum, but you're looking for uh, social conversation. There's lessons that are called social conversation, because social conversation um, is a very different, difficult thing. It's not just language. It is the individual has to learn. I'll give you some examples of these other skills that I'm talking about. They have, to, um, they have to be able to kind of learn things like, how do I respond when there's one child playing with me or one other person versus a group? Because group dialogue is extremely different than individual dialogue. Second is they have to learn like, what do I do if, I, how do I read other people's uh, body language and facial expressions? Because that is in social conversation and in play, that is how we identify if we are doing something wrong, if we're being boring, if we're off topic. It's by reading other people's expressions. How do I do that? And how do I repair it if I notice that people are walking away, if I'm losing people in the play uh, setting, um, if they're preferring to play with each other as opposed to me, what are my ways to repair that? What are some conversational skills that help me introduce and get into the social setting as opposed to maintain when I'm in there, as opposed to repair when people are leaving. There's a lot to learn there. So I really recommend that you go into skills because uh, it would kind of be a disservice if I was just to say, well, you know, t uh, observe his play and give him some rote sentences. You can do that, but it won't always be appropriate. And if you want him to learn actually the formula, kind of how to socialize in peer settings, then you need to teach all these other types of skills. If he's a younger child, you're looking at things like sharing, turn-taking. I mean, there's so many different things that come in before you can focus on getting appropriate conversation into peer play. And of course, this is a great time for me to read what the free offerings are from Skills and IBT this week. And you're not going to believe it's like they've got a Vulcan mind meld with you. And we didn't know that this was I, until I opened this just now. Okay. So um, each week, Skills and IBT, the Institute for Behavioral Training, offer free things and they send me an email. This week, for our ABA parents and, uh, and guardians, they are offering a free IBT parent e-learning course. And the topic this week that's free is parent 
tackling autism as a family, which I think is going to be super helpful for a lot of you. I'm going to read the whole list and then I'm going to give you the way that you get these free offerings. So for parents, it's tackling autism as a family. And keep in mind, you can, uh, anyone can uh, see any of these. So for the educator community though, they're offering uh, the free IBT educator e-learning module. Are you ready for this? Educator, the social environment. How awesome is that? That's and that's great. available. Isn't that, that's available to educators at no charge, but you know, parents are always educators. So you might want to check that out. They're continuing to offer their RBT 2.0 training course. That's free for parents on a case by case basis. You'll have to reach out and ask specifically for it. That's over a $400 value. And they're giving that for free on a case by case basis. Get your pencil ready for the phone number. In addition, they will continue to offer 10% discount on all skills products for anyone that refers to us and says uh, that they watch Autism Live or you say Shannon sent me and I want the friends and family program. That's my little joke, but they appreciate it. Uh, so here's the phone number for all of that. 877-975-4559. Again, that's 877 877- nine seven five four five five nine if you are watching internationally as i know so many of you do um you can send the email directly to me at s.penrod at autism live.com and i will forward it to the appropriate people over at skills and ibt but how great is that that this week it's actually about something social in the classroom, which I love. Amazing. I think that we had the same thing happen last week. They gave us something that was right on topic. Amazing. Yeah, right on topic. Vulcan mind meld. It's so good. Uh, I want you to know that we asked the question of the parent about the, the, the medicine that she said, and we didn't know what that was. And they said it's a tablet form of melatonin. Right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, melatonin is good for helping one fall asleep. It's not so good for maintaining sleep. Uh, it generally wakes people up about after four hours or so. But that, that aside, uh, you really should figure out the underlying issue, which seems to be something with her tummy. And I can't stress how important that is. Okay. I have another question that came in in the night. Um, what tips do you have uh, to give a neurodiverse couple really struggling with this pandemic? My husband has autism and isn't coping well with this pandemic. He is constantly irritable and we fight constantly. Yeah. My friend, if I could answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dime for every time. No, there are, I mean, you know, I'll be honest, this pandemic is going on too long. There are so many people that have done their very best to keep it together since March and things are falling apart now because nobody expected it to be going on this long. I mean, you know, we are, uh, human beings are, are social beings and there's no question that uh, if you keep us in hibernation for a year, everybody's going to start falling apart. That's just the nature of, of who we are. So um, I'm, it, it is very, very difficult. I guess it, I, don't, I'm, you know, I don't know anything at all about your husband. I would recommend that um, 
it might be helpful for the two of you to talk to a marriage family counselor um, and who can help give you some guidance on, you know, if it was me, I would be asking uh, your husband to kind of break it down in terms of what are the things that are disturbing him about the pandemic and then to help rationalize them in some way and then to help give some uh, objective end to this whole thing because I think what we all the, those those of us who can handle it I guess or who are tolerating the pandemic uh, are holding on to the hope that things will get better even though every time you turn on the news things are getting worse we all still hold on to the hope that they will get better and I think uh, you know that has to be part of the solution for him, uh, that he has some motivation or hope for the future. Um, we do happen to have a very, very good uh, licensed marriage family counselor who knows all about autism. And his name is Vince Redmond. And uh, Shannon, if you email Shannon directly, I'm sure Shannon can connect you. Vince has been with me at CARD for over, I would say almost, what is it, 25 years or so. So he is extremely experienced in behavior analysis and ABA and it, he knows a, a lot about autism and he is an LMFT. Somebody just wrote in and said that there is an app for those oh. with ASD to make friends um, call, uh, called with others. Uh, it's, and it's, you can make friends with people around the world. It's called Making Authentic Friendships or MAF, M-A-F, M-A-F, excuse me. It was featured on the Today Show in March, 2020. Um, it's to help people with special needs to connect. So- what a wonderful resource for people to to check out and see if they can um uh I, we i don't know it um so i have no idea but check it out and see what it is and and see if that's something that will help you uh i still like the idea of a of a, a, a someone who's a matchmaker yeah. for people on the uh, with asd i'm, I'm still yeah. loving this um i think i said i think i said yeti but i think it's yenta Yenta, you Did said I, Yenta. Oh, I said Yenta. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, and they want to know, Shannon, does the educator e-learning provide CEUs? I know that you can get CEUs on IBT, but I don't know if that particular one provides CEUs. But if you call that number, they will tell you. Um, and I have to they say, can get CEUs. Yeah. I don't think, I'm not sure if it has happened recently, but up to the point when I was running everything, <laughs> including IBT, uh, we were trying to get on the teacher teachers commission. You have to be you have to you have to be a provider of continuing education for teachers. I don't know if we ever accomplished that, but please do free feel free to call IBT Institute for Behavioral Training ibehavioraltraining.com and ask them. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so we have this question, and I'm not even sure that I understand the question. Um, so, and I'm not sure that if this is outside your experience, Dr. Grampichet, but William would like to know, can people uh, with ASD recognize radio signal patterns that neuro a neurotypical person could not? 
for example, an example would be fast radio bursts that the SETI Institute are studying. Mm -hmm. And I looked up the SETI Institute, that is um, the search for extraterrestrial institute. So um, I don't know anything about that. And I don't know if you do either. I do not know anything about that at all. I do know that there are select, <clears throat> excuse me, individuals on the autism spectrum who have exceptional pattern recognition skills. I do know that. So I have had a couple, I have known and treated a couple of those individuals and their pattern recognition skills are beyond anything we can uh, measure even. So pattern recognition, uh, for those who don't know what that is, is for instance, if I tell you to complete the pattern and I give and I say two, four, six, you'll know that it continues into eight, 10, 12, so on, right? And that's a pattern. And so you based on the first few things that I tell you, you recognize a pattern and then you can extrapolate. And so those, that, that's a very simple example of it, but pattern recognition then goes, becomes very complicated and it goes into machine learning and things that are happening to you and I every day, for instance, which is if you, you know, look up on Google for a piece of furniture from there on, you will continue to receive things that are similar to that in your feed because they've recognized that you have a pattern. You generally look at these things. So one of my um, uh, prior uh, children or her clients uh, actually does pattern recognition now for the government and looks at anti-terrorism types of patterns. Uh, so I know that there are individuals who have ex excellent uh, skills in that area. I don't know anything about the work that's being done in, in SETI or, and I actually, think if you asked me, I would say it's very few people, very few people. This is one of those really extreme skills. Um, so it's not a common thing with autism. Okay. Now we've had a lot of questions come in lately and it's they're in two different categories. One where there are parents who they really don't like the label of autism. They feel like maybe their child is just behind on some skills and they really don't, they're they're loath to take them to a specialist and get the diagnosis because they feel that if they get that diagnosis, it's for life and that there's no moving past it. And on the flip side of it, Dr. Grampiche, we have a bunch of adults who are, for the first time in their lives, hearing about autism and, and they're hearing about it in some very mainstream ways. I know you and I've had conversations about I, I love me um, some Amy Schumer and watching her go through the process with her husband of her husband getting diagnosed and how warm and luscious and fabulous Amy um, Schumer has made that for so many people has caused a lot of people to start to look at it and, and start to say, look, I think that's me because I have trouble with this and I have trouble with this. Sometimes going to the extreme of self-diagnosing themselves and saying to the public, Yes, I've decided that I am on the autism spectrum. So we've got adults who are, for the first time ever, Amy Schumer kind of like overshot the bow and made it so cool that people are wanting to get the diagnosis. And then we've got the parents of kids who need help who are saying, I don't, I don't want the diagnosis. And I was wondering if you could help us a little bit to, to figure out where we might want to be on these two subjects. 
Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing conversation to have. So, you know, I've traditionally, Shannon, I've always said to parents, because I have, unfortunately, <clears throat> for the past 30 years or so, also been a diagnostician, right? So I, I, one of my jobs was, is still, that I diagnose. And I often now am kind of the second or third opinion. So it's sort of like people will come to me when they're confused about this issue. And I can tell you that, so, so there's a lot of, you know, diagnosing someone is not a fun activity, obviously, because it's a very painful experience for most parents. They, they, it evokes a lot of fear and confusion and apprehension about the future. And I always tell parents uh, who find it very difficult that it, this is not by any means something to be afraid of. It's just a, it's, it's a name that helps you in a number of different ways. It helps you gain services that are appropriate. After all, if I was to diagnose the child with something completely different, like, or, or similar even, like what if I said the child has, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, social anxiety disorder, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, some other small thing. And, your, the treatments that you would seek out would be different. You'd go after, you know, maybe psychotherapy or cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever. You would not be seeking out ABA, which is super effective when you're on the spectrum. So I would say that it is a useful label in the sense that it allows you to gain access or it directs you to the right treatment, right? If someone says, oh, I have a headache, and you now have a name for it, you know that the treatment is, well, take Tylenol or Advil or something, right? You know the treatment. So that's a useful thing, because not having a name, you're kind of confused what you have to do next. The other thing is having that name or label allows you to access funding. And that, so that's a very big deal. So uh, it's important to have that label in order to access funding. So those are the positives about having that label. When you have the label, in order to prevent the fear or reduce the fear of the future, what I suggest is now you've gotten, you've used the label, you've gotten your funding and you know you're supposed to get ABA. Now put it aside. Don't, don't even fuss on it or remember, don't, don't let it overwhelm your life. Let's just look at symptoms. Okay, let's look at what are the issues. And as I presented before, a lot of times, all you want to do is you want to look at your child and establish through assessments, what are the strengths and what are the areas of weakness? And when I say weakness, they're not even weakness, it's areas that are different than the norm. Because truthfully, you want to help your child reach the norm as much as possible so that they can fit into society, benefit from society in the same way as others do, right? So what are the things my child is super good at and what are the things that they're not so good at? Just like we do with our typically developing kids who have, let's say, problems with math. You, you don't just ignore it and say, well, my child's going to want to have problems with math forever and good for him. You get a tutor, right? And that's what ABA is. It's like, let's find a tutor for the child who can help him catch up with language, peer play, social uh, aspects of life. Uh, maybe this tutor can also help my child not 
tantrum or be aggressive when they and, and use their words instead. That's what ABA does. So you just look at the symptoms, you identify those behaviors that need to change and work towards it. And you'll see great, great improvement. So that's kind of for the folks who don't want the diagnosis. That's how, how I feel like you should really you you know move past that obstacle because there's a journey ahead and until you move past that obstacle you're holding your child back okay so that's that for for those who nowadays uh want to have the diagnosis well some people honestly Shannon, sometimes i get parents who come to me and actually do qualify and it is an aha moment for them. And it is important for us to acknowledge that they've gone through life with this. This is like so many children who have dyslexia and it takes years and years before we figure out, oh my God, this child has dyslexia. That's why they're having a hard time academically. Um, same thing with, our, with some of the folks who come and actually do in one way or another have very, very high functioning autism, which used to be called Asperger's. And basically they have somehow managed their way through life. It is helpful for them to get the diagnosis and to find the right treatments, which, you know, if you are extremely high functioning and have managed through life so far as an adult, then you probably are very high functioning. And then you should actually access something like cognitive behavior therapy, which would be helpful for you. But then there's a smaller group, I guess, or I don't know, but we're getting more and more of this of individuals who actually think it's cool to have, it's trendy to, to have uh, ASD and or they would like to have accommodations made for them based on this. And I don't, that I just become super defensive towards personally, having, uh, having you know, been, tried to support so many parents along this journey, which is not an easy journey, I just find it a little bit offensive for people to try to use the diagnosis to make life easier for themselves when really it's not an easy thing. It's not something to be, you know, you can't just jump in and say, hey, I want the same accommodations. Truly, there are individuals who uh, it's hard for them and they deserve those accommodations, but not not for everyone. So, you know. I appreciate that so much. I think that that's a really important um, topic of discussion. I know I got into it with a friend the other day because they had seen an article, these things pop up from time to time. They had seen an article saying that, uh, and it was supposedly written from the perspective of two young people. I, I find it very hard to use to, to believe that they use this phrase, but supposedly the young people said that once upon a time they had a diagnosis and that then they grew out of it was the phrase that they used. Okay. And, and I kind of, I was like, I was covered in hives the minute that somebody said this, I said, okay, let's, let's be clear here that autism is not something you grow out of. There are people who get to the point where they no longer qualify for a diagnosis, but nobody does that through the process of growing in their sleep. And I, as a parent of a, of a person who was diagnosed at two and a half, and I watched them and an army of people work their tuchuses off for years, I got, I got defensive and I was like, outgrew it? You mean worked really hard? Yeah. Uh, and they were like, I'm just using their words because I was, I was a little bit fatutz. 
Um, but I, I, we, we've only got four minutes left. Um, but have you ever seen somebody outgrow out autism? No, 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 no. In fact, I think with, I mean, in some cases, as the child ages, things get a little bit better. In, in most cases, things get worse if you don't do any kind of intervention. What I do want to say, though, is there are, unfortunately, now, because there's such a huge need for doctors who can diagnose, there are a lot of folks diagnosing incorrectly right now as well, which is very, very concerning to me because, you know, what do you do? You have to believe the doctor that you just saw. And if someone tells you, yes, you have a diagnosis and you really don't, I can't even tell you the repercussions. Just here's one. Here's one just thing that immediately went through my mind the other day. As you know, Shannon, I was, uh, I, 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 Someone had been diagnosed who I know does not have autism. I have diagnosed them the opposite way. But bottom line is that, you know, the more and more people, uh, if more and more people claim to have this diagnosis and actually receive this diagnosis, it is going to affect the payer world. Uh, payers, uh, insurance companies already are having a very hard time with the number of people who are diagnosed with the amount of treatment they have to pay for. So now if we even increase that, believe me, the pushback from payers for those individuals who really need the therapy will also increase because they're paying even more for folks who don't necessarily need the therapy. Right. Well, we're just about out of time. I do want to say that somebody just wrote in and said, that's my son, what my son's doctor said for the first diagnosis about outgrowing autism. And we have to say happy birthday to her. Kirsten is watching and it's her birthday and we're sending you big, big, happy birthday love. Um, okay. I want to thank Dr. Grampuche for being here and for answering all of your questions. I know I learned a lot and I'm so grateful to her and to all of you for being here and watching with us. I also want to remind everybody that to, on tomorrow's show, uh, we're going to be replaying an episode with Chelsea Darnell and she's going to be talking about that movie chat social group, which I just think is amazing. And, and one of the things I love about it the most, it's free. And doesn't matter where you are, it's online. And that all is happening through the Ed Asner Family Center. But Chelsea, we're gonna, we did an interview with her earlier while we were in COVID. And so we're gonna replay that tomorrow. And then on Friday, Nancy Allspaugh Jackson is here with me for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And our special guest is going to be Kristen Roth from the Autism Society of America. They're gonna be talking about what uh, Autism Society of America is doing about COVID. And I know that that's gonna be a big discussion because I think everybody, as you said, Dr. Grambuchet, everybody's sort of at the end of their rope and, and we need to make knots because we're not all the way through. Uh, we need to be hanging on to each other and being ingenious. I tell you, you know, one of the things about when, when things get rough is that people find something to do. And that I know that all the brilliant minds are working on how do we all socially get together and, and hang on to each other as we get through this. And the autism community is no different. There are people like at the Ed Asner Center doing this movie chat and other classes online. There's all kinds of things. And we've got some things that we're going to, we've got coming up as well to help us to get 
through the holidays. So Dr. Grampy-Shay, we love and adore you and thank you so much for taking the time to do all the things that you do and especially for being here with us. Thank you so much. much. Bye-bye, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.